Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Sit, Wait, and Talk show. Absolute banger for you today. Jared of Orion Training Group joins the show and dumps all kinds of knowledge on us. This guy is an absolute stud. Former SWAT guy, has a ton of experience in CQB tactics and firearms proficiency, and they offer a slew of classes on their website at Orion Training Group, so make sure you check them out, oriontraininggroup.com. Their classes fill up incredibly fast. They sell out every class, so make sure you join up. And if you want to get better, especially with the CQB stuff, they offer a ton of classes in that realm. But so much more than that, guys. This conversation, we dive deep into tactics as well as some controversy with that. And Jared and I talk about mentorship and what it means to him, what it means to connect with folks and teach. He has a true passion for it. It's very evident from this conversation. So make sure you listen to the entire episode. And with that, guys, episode eight of the Sit, Wait, and Talk show. Welcome to the Sit, Wait, and Talk Show, a podcast for protectors by protectors. Remember, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. So join us to stay ready for the fight ahead. Ken David, we have barricaded suspects with hostages at St. Demetrius Church. This is the police. Come out with your hands up. Do it now. We have suspect movement. Entry team is in. Hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. I thought we were SWAT. Aren't we supposed to just sit here and wait? Bang out! The Sit, Wait, and Talk podcast is powered by Force Frontier. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Sit, Wait, and Talk show. I am joined by Jared of Orion Training Group. He made time out of his day to come on the show for us. Cannot thank him enough. He's got incredible insight. You know, I've been following his page for a little while now, been learning a lot. And I'm sure if you're listening to this podcast, you've likely heard of Jared as well. Um, but if you haven't, I'm going to have you, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to talk to Jared here, deep dive into who he is, what his company is about, and uh, yeah, so happy to have you on, Jared. Thank you. Hey, man, I really appreciate you guys uh, making the opportunity. I love getting on here and you know talking to folks and getting in depth, so I appreciate it. Yeah, and, I, and that's why one of the big reasons I wanted to have you on. I know you you really deep dive into stuff, even just the the tabletop uh, trainings. I absolutely love because. <laughs> You know, it's not it's not the sexy thing. It's not the uh, the Instagram reel um, everybody's looking for. But I had uh, Sean of Ready and Able Defense on yesterday, and he was kind of that same mindset. And uh, definitely the types of folks I want to attract to this show. And I think our listeners can learn a lot from guys like you because you really put in the time. It's not just it's not just getting out on the range. It's it's a deep understanding, critically thinking about what you're doing. And I and I appreciate that about instructors and and guys that are humble as well. Uh, you definitely seem like a down to earth, humble guy, and I can't wait to talk to you more about it. So, talk uh talk to our listeners about your background, a little bit about your company, um, where you got your start, and all that. So I've been in law enforcement since uh, February of 15. So in like a couple weeks, I'll have uh, just under nine years. I had a brief pause in between departments, but, you know, that's for a few months. Majority of that time has been uh, in special operations in law enforcement or SRT or SWAT, you know, sit, wait, and talk, as the name of the podcast is. Um, So that's not super unique, to be honest. There's a lot of guys out there that have that background. I think that part of what made my experience unique and and really made me want to teach is the team that I started on was uh, very busy doing 120 to 140 operations a year um, while also doing things like, you know, personal protection details and stuff like that. Some off the wall stuff, maritime law enforcement. So uh, visit board search seizure, all the, you know, waterborne operations. And uh, I got my start teaching there, um, teaching SWAT schools, teaching CQB and stuff like that. and really found a passion for it. 
So the background is just simply law enforcement, special operations and law enforcement, and then started teaching uh, sometime around 2017, 2018, and really got a passion for it. Um, so the background there is pretty straightforward, pretty simple, uh, nothing too sexy, but um, I think the the passion and the interest in teaching is really what obviously drove me to want to have a training company. Um, I actually recorded my own podcast. We have our own podcast called Orion Talking Group <laughs> instead of Orion nice. Training Group, and we just told the story. Yeah, we just told the story of how it started. So uh, that'll hopefully air sometime in the next month or so on our YouTube. But um, to a very long story short, I was in between at departments uh, working at my dad's company, just trying to figure out what I wanted to do. Um, I left the other agency all my, of my own volition. You know, I wasn't like I was fired or anything like that. I was just like, man, we're getting worked to death. They don't starting pay is $32,000 a year there. So, you know, I'm working, you know, 70, 80, 90, hundred hour weeks, barely getting paid, getting shot at and everything else. It was like, man, this is just not it, uh, term. So I got out, started, uh, working at my dad's company for a while. And I mean, you know, um, dad owns a big pest control company and that's just not what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. Um, it was just making ends meet in the meantime, my wife was still in school and, uh, a guy that I kept up with online was like, Hey man, can we come teach us some stuff? And, uh, him and a bunch of his friends, some army dudes, cops and stuff like that. So I drove to the middle of nowhere in Illinois, um, in 2020 and, uh, taught those guys for three days. They paid me like 150 bucks each basically covered my costs. And it was such a unique experience to be able to train people that really wanted to be there. And they were so interested and dedicated in the time that we would train, you know, 12 to 14 hours, three days in a row. And they just ate it up. And I realized I have not been this happy in a long time. And it's because I'm seeing people learn and there's these aha moments and not to toot my own horn. I'm pretty gifted at teaching. And it really was a sort of a, I found my purpose kind of moment. So took that and ran with it, started at OTG uh, that December of 2020. That class was in November and uh, it's kind of been a, a meteoric rise in, the success of the business since then, because we're now we're entering, you know, um, that fourth year of business. Yeah. You guys, are, um, you guys so are guess taking off, man. I, I see your guys' stuff all over the wild. place and it's, it's pretty cool to see everybody kind of buy into it, but I think it's a testament to your guys' approach with everything. I mean, I even ran into you guys, you and Jason at uh, OTOA and for our listeners, that's a Ohio tactical officers association, just a big conference every year that, uh, LE guys can get up there and get some really good quality training from, uh, some, nationally recognized instructors and i just ran into you guys i think at the cookout or something i just oh hey how's it going guys and i didn't feel like i was pushing you or nothing you guys like stood there talked to me and and kind of brought it upon yourselves and i'm sure you guys were talking all stinking week about uh you know tactics and talking to guys and meeting people but you guys actually were genuinely good people uh from my experience and i and i it's not it's not every day you see that and when you're talking about you know, training guys that really want to do it. Um, that I had a similar experience as well, and that's really what what got us going with Force Frontier. But I think, you know, it's also rare to see guys like yourself that are very humble, down to earth, want to talk about this stuff, very passionate about it, which I think is a big part of it. Um, and it, you just have so many guys in the industry that are very standoffish and e ego driven and all that. Um, and yeah. I, and I didn't get that impression from you at all. Is that just a, is that just a personality thing? What are your thoughts on that? Uh, I'm actually a huge asshole. Um, 
in real life. Um, <laughs> so I've had to learn, I've had to learn the hard way. Um, I'll put it to you this way. So nothing that I teach, I came up with the way I teach it and the way that we phrase things in the flow of curriculum is unique to us. Um, but that still doesn't make it special. There's nothing new under the sun. If I didn't come up with it, it's not proprietary to me. I can't have an ego surrounding giving it to someone else because someone gave it to me. So to take something that's not mine and say, this is mine and now you owe me is, um, sort of the picture of narcissism and ego driven, uh, business. And the training industry has a lot of that because guys with a, a high pedigree, and I'm not putting myself in that category, but guys with a high pedigree will get the wrong idea and think that they're somehow special, um, when they're actually just a small cog in a big machine. So to, to your point about, you know, the industry has a lot of ego driven stuff. If you look at where people come from to get to the point that they feel comfortable teaching, whether they actually should be teaching or not, um, if you don't go through that experience and gain some humility, the only other path is to come out like, a, you know, like you said, like an asshole. It's like, oh, well, I've done the thing and you haven't. So now you're going to pay me money to teach it. That means that I'm better than you is how a lot of people see it. Even if they don't think about it deeply enough to even realize that about themselves, that's their motivation for those attitudes is that, well, if I'm the one teaching it. I must be the best one. And I think that, um, there's a big separation in teaching skill and actual the skill itself. You could have somebody who's never done it and teaches it better than someone who has done it. If they're a good teacher, you have a lot of guys that might be the best trigger puller in the world or the best dude at raiding the house. And they are terrible at teaching because they just get into teaching because now they're retired. and That's what they want to do. Not because they're a good teacher. Caveat to that. Obviously you need experience to inform what you're teaching. Um, but I don't think that being the best doer always makes you the best teacher either. So I, I try to approach it and we try to hire people. Like you said, you mentioned Jason as well that approach it that way. Um, so everything that we do, everything that we teach is a sort of a conglomerate of a lot of different backgrounds. And the teaching style is a combination of all these guys, different backgrounds. For example, Jason, he's been doing CQB since 1997 or 96 when I was in diapers. So, you know, uh, I, I learned a lot about how to teach, but also what I'm teaching. A lot of it I learned from him. So he's got 22 years doing this stuff, you know, cumulatively. Now he's been in the private sector for three years and everything he touches turns to gold. He's a humble dude. He's super knowledgeable. He's been teaching for a long, long time. You bring people like that into your company and you let him go. You don't micromanage him. You don't say, you know, hey, I started this. I took the risk. I'm in charge. You say, hey, Jason, what, what do you think we should do? Help me out with this. And uh, when you give people that sort of decentralized leadership and freedom to go do what they're good at, you end up more successful than just trying to be that whole ego-driven, I'm the boss, you know, micromanagement type of model. So everything we do is uh, very much based in kind of letting people who are already excellent at something excel at it. And that's pretty much the business model. So it's actually really simple is what you're saying. Don't be an it's asshole. super easy. Yeah. Super easy. And don't I be an asshole. And you, and, and like you, we have guys, uh, you're just surrounded by a lot of cool people when you're doing the things that you're doing. And I think it's recognizing where people's strong suits are and bringing those guys on yep. that can be an asset to your team. And, you know, I took over and I talked about it in the last episode with Sean, you know, I took over our defensive tactics program at my department early on, and it was one of those things that 
like you, I'm an asshole in real life. Um, but <laughs> if, if I take that same approach with my students that have 25 years on, you know, guys that, you know, have been doing the job a little while longer than I've been alive kind of thing. Yep. And now I'm taking over a program where I'm standing in front of a group of people. And I think that makes me important. And it does, but for a different reason, I have a responsibility to those folks to coach them and not instruct. Exactly. Yep. And if I take that upon myself, so I'm, I'm doing jujitsu, you know, I'm doing all those things. So people have a little bit of respect for me because I'm taking it upon myself, spending my own money to actually learn this stuff. But if I have a, if I'm a jerk about it and I don't approach it the right way, then nobody's going to gain anything. And therefore I failed it as an instructor. And it took me some years to really learn how to teach people. Um, and I think I went into it with the right mindset initially, which helped me in the end, but it was still something I had to learn. So you talked a little bit, and I want to dive into this a little bit more. You talked about learning how to coach and learning how to teach this stuff is a skill set in and of itself. Just because I'm good on the trigger doesn't mm -hmm. mean I'm good at, as a teacher. And I think um, there's things along the way that you learn and how do I relay the information, but you have to study that the same way you study the actual skill set itself. Is there anything in particular, yep. aside from being around guys like Jason, that kind of stood out to you as like these were aha moments for me to kind of develop that skill set in teaching? Yeah, so – I think there's the three pillars of learning how to teach is watching other people teach. You have to watch somebody because it's such an organic thing. So when you, when you facilitate someone else's learning, that's one of the most human interactions, right? If I, if you don't know how two plus two equals four goes as a child and a teacher explains it and you actually understand that fundamental truth about math now, that teacher has kind of helped you discover something that was already it was already there. So if we look at the science and the of of learning and how people make those connections, it's almost intangible, right? Like there's not really a, I can't I'm not giving you the information. I'm helping you to realize that it's true. So if you watch other people who are known to be good teachers teach, you if you're if you're an insightful person or if you're hungry to learn this stuff, will pick up on the small things that they do that help people and they all do things a little differently. We always joke that Jason is like the daddy and I'm like the mommy. I will be nice to people even when they're making a mistake because typically I have found for me that when I am an asshole or if I am a little too harsh, I come across way too harsh. So Jason has a good way of being a little harsher, but it is it's delivered in a softer blow. So watching Jason the way he teaches he's softer with people even when he's like dude you know what the heck i've told you i've told you this a few times now let's let's run it again um when i watch will one of our instructors uh teach pistol he will he'll go on like a shakespearean soliloquy for like 20 minutes about the the in-depth you know background and, and and of what it could be how to pull a trigger and he'll talk about it like it's um the most complex thing in the world, but then he breaks it down. So Jason's really direct. Will is really, uh, you know, big nebulous, uh, large concepts broken down. Um, I like to be really reductive. I like to make things as simple as possible. Um, and you have guys like Rob Epifania, who's a grandmaster with us. He likes to make things, um, very, very simple, very reductive and very much just practice it, practice this one simple thing. So these, all these guys have these little different methods that they use, 
And all of those methods could be good for different students. So I'd say the first thing to learning how to teach is don't just take one approach. You should probably watch a lot of people that teach in different ways. And what the best way you can do that is to go to other people's classes. If you're an instructor, you got to go look at other people teach, go to other people's classes. Uh, again, going back to the ego thing, a lot of people aren't going to do that because they don't want to get humbled or they don't want to be a student and look dumb. Right. But like the famous saying, you have to be a fool to become a master. So watching other people teach is huge. And also continuing to be a student yourself. If you're not continually learning, you will forget how learning actually works. And I know that sounds really stupid, but if you don't go and have those aha moments yourself, you will forget how they actually occur. So continuing to be a student, I know that's such a, like a, always be a student brother, you know, all that, but it's, it's true. If you continually absorb knowledge, it could be something unrelated to what you're even doing. You could go take a painting class and learn how to teach somebody how to do CQB better because the person teaching the painting is teaching you how to teach. So being a student and also learning from other instructors on how to teach, there's also obviously textbooks and classes you can go to. There's like train the trainer stuff. Um, and I would say a lot of it's BS. The best thing that I have found, and it's what our whole, our company uses at every level, is called the adult learning model. I don't know if you're familiar with that. No. So it's pretty big in Louisiana, um, probably because we're like the poorest, most uneducated state. So we have to, we have to use this route, you know? Um, but basically you teach adults like they're kindergartners. You use the same methodology. So you, the first thing you do in the adult learning model is you talk about it. You break the ice, you get people familiar with the concepts, you define the terms, you just discuss whatever it is. So the first step is discussion. Once people are involved in the discussion and they have a buy-in, they're interested, then you need to demonstrate it. Because if I just start demonstrating something without any sort of buy-in or people paying attention, then they're not going to they're not gonna absorb the demo. The purpose of demonstration is to give them a reference point. So we talk about it, we demonstrate it, we give them reference points, and then we guide them through repetitions to do it themselves. So talk about it, demonstrate it, guide them through it. And you do those guided repetitions up until they're ready to actually be tested. So talk, demo, guide, test. And it's a cycle. If at any point in the test there's a failure, you just go back to whatever stage of learning that person needs. For example, if you're the PowerPoint guy and there's one in every class, dude, it's like we go to the, we do a course critique at the end where we let students just rip it. Like, hey, man, what did you hate? What did you love? I want to get better. Um, and that's another that's another thing to get better as an instructor actually have the student tell you how they learn best. You'll get good at reading people, but there's always that one guy who's like, um, I wanted a PowerPoint and I'm like, I, I knew it, but there are people who learn by reading it on a screen. And there are people who cannot learn that way and they must see it done. And there are people who don't care about seeing it done. They have to rep it. So if you do all three for every lesson and then you're able to flex back and forth between what students need, you pretty much hit everybody's learning style. Um, so that's kind of like the, in my opinion, the three ways to become a good instructor. Teach people like their kids. That doesn't mean be an asshole to them or act like they're dumb. Teach them in the way that children learn because our brain doesn't actually change the way it learns. And then go to other people's classes and actually, like you said, develop the skill as an instructor the way you would develop anything else. Go learn how to teach. And I think that would probably make a big difference in the training industry if people actually did that. Instead of just saying, like, I've been a cop for 25 years, I must be doing something right. And then they go become an instructor and they ruin, 
you know, the training industry for everyone. Right. And I think, you know, as cops, we know better because we're privy to so much training as is like you have to go through all these different instructors. And when you have one that really connects with you and you, you buy into what they're saying, you gotta, you gotta recognize that and mimic it or whatever you need to do to, to, you know, put it into your own game. Because if you don't, then you're just going to be another one of the jerks teaching. So, um, no, I, I absolutely love that approach. And I think, and I, and I completely agree with you. You have to understand how to teach. And that wasn't something I just learned right away. It was like, okay, I need to study this the same way I study self-defense, uh, firearms training, whatever it is. I have to dive deep into this. And that's awesome. You have a, obviously a very deep understanding of that, and that's why you're popular and why people take your classes. Um, I want to talk about your classes, some of the things that you guys offer over at Orion Training Group. What are the things that you really like to focus on? What are the students that you're attracting to these courses? Let's dive into that. Um, so, yeah, so I, I would break that question down into uh, two things. One is what do I want to teach? And the second one is what do people actually want to buy? Love um, so I love it. <laughs> we were talking We were talking about before we started recording, you know, the sort of the phenomenon of like – you post a video on YouTube of tactics that nobody else is covering and it gets 5,000 views. Then you post a video of like, here's my plate carrier and it gets a hundred thousand views because people suck and they focus on the wrong things. Right. So our success has been measured mostly in the advent of civilian available CQB classes. It's what put us on the map. It's what we continue to sell out of. We have a USPSA grandmaster who teaches a two or three day pistol class the dude is an absolute wizard. Like I thought I knew how to shoot a pistol and in three cell phone conversations, he shaved a half second off my drawing presentation. I can run a build drill now, you know, sub two seconds when I used to think sub three was like as fast as I could ever get. Yeah. You know, nobody wants that class because it says pistol basics, right? Because to be a grandmaster, all you need to do is the basics at a high, high rate speed. It's just fundamentals, right? So 100%. nobody wants to take the – people don't want to take the, you know, how to be a Jedi with your pistol um, class unless that's the only thing that company offers, and that's what they're known for. And that is sort of our double-edged sword. So to, to kind of go back, we do a ton of CQB, um, which is new to the industry within the last five to ten years of companies offering this stuff to civilians. We do CQB classes based on manpower. So there's the governing principles of CQB, safety, security, speed, surprise, violence of action. There's the all that stuff that governs like a lot of people's doctrines. Um, but what we do in our classes is we teach those same five principles. And the only thing that we change is the determining factors, manpower, mission, or environment. The environment's just the venue we train in, right? It could be a commercial size structure like the ranch in San Antonio or it could be like our shoot house in Baton Rouge, which is built like a residence. So your environment's going to dictate tactics a little bit, um, but we don't do scenario-based training. We don't do exercises. We just do principle-driven training. And again, I don't want to get in the weeds. My ADHD with this coffee has hit me. But the difference between a training exercise and a, an actual just training block or a scenario exercise and a training block when you do dry fire at your house, do you give yourself a whole scenario of like, okay, I'm in my house, you know, I was butt naked watching Gilmore Girls, and then the bad guy came into the back door, and now I have to clear, 
this room and this room and this room. No, you just dry fire and build that skill, correct? Right. That's our approach to CQB. CQB is a skill. It's really an environmental consideration. I'm engaging someone within the same building, within these angles. It doesn't really matter what the scenario is. The movement is the movement. The angle is the angle. Unless we're doing hostage rescue, you know, we're going we're gonna to take a sort of a hybrid approach between dynamic and deliberate movement. So the only thing we change is our manpower. We offer solo and duo, which is one and two man. We offer uh, three and four man, which is small unit. And then we offer full team, which is like eight to 12 dudes. And the intro day of those classes is the same because all the same, all the same principles apply. And then the follow on two days focuses on what those courses are different in, which is just the approaches you can take between one and two, three and four and eight to 12 people, uh, you know, being in a structure working together. And that's been wildly successful. Uh, we sold out of something like 25 CQB classes last year. Uh, we're going to have something like 30 this year. We're slowly growing that. But um, do people need that is often a question. Uh, I don't get into the ethics or the utilitarian ethics of like telling people what they need or don't need. If you're interested in it and you are an American citizen in good standing, then you want to learn it. I feel like it's your God-given right to understand how to move and use your weapon systems around angles. It's just part of the Second Amendment, in my opinion. There are some people out there that hate that and disagree. That's okay. They can pound sand. But when it comes to other stuff, what do I think people should actually be learning? Why are we not focusing more on medical? Why are we not focusing more on active shooter response? Why are we not focusing more on um, concealed carry performance, draw and presentation from concealment? Why are we not focusing more on um, defensive driving, situational awareness? It's a super simple answer. That's not very cool. Um, that's not what people see as being worth their time on the weekend for the money. Uh, so we offer medical courses. We all we all certify civilians in uh, TECC, which is you know the civilian version of TCCC. Uh, we offer concealed carry performance. Um, there's all kinds of classes out there for defensive driving. We don't get into that, but. Again, what do I think people should be training on as a primary versus what do they really want to take first? They don't really want to do the foundational stuff. They want to jump straight into CQB because it's, it's really cool. Let's just be honest. It's the sexy stuff, right? They watch SEAL Team CBS and it's time to get in the house, you know? Um, so I think that's a, a springboard, honestly. We'll have people come into classes and they don't really know where their safety is on their AR, but they want to learn how to clear rooms. That's, that's actually happened. We had a guy who called himself a firearms instructor. He was using that title. He comes in and he goes to engage a target in a corner and his thumb is brushing across the safety the wrong direction because he didn't know how to work it in a rapid environment. He was used to just shooting in a bay in a static environment and he wasn't ready. So we used the CQB classes and the whole, um, you know, hey, if your firearm skills aren't there, you could CQB the hell out of it. But if you don't know how to shoot, it doesn't matter. We use those sort of philosophies in class to sort of open people's eyes to what you really need as far as hard skills go before you even get into these types of skill sets. Um, most SWAT programs have a, a qualification required for shooting that's pretty high. If you can't make the shooting qual, you don't get to go do the cool stuff, right? Same concept. What we face as a private industry and a private company is, do I put a gate or do I gatekeep people's ability to go learn CQB based on their shooting ability? And if I do decide to do that, how do I even go about doing that? Uh, you know, so 
we've talked about the idea of doing prereqs and saying, hey, if you want to take our CQB courses, you have to take this level one rifle and pistol class, stuff like that. Um, but we have found that prereqs and making people take a basics class is more of a turnoff than it is, you know, uh, encouragement. Having them come to the CQB class and saying, listen, dude, your rifle shooting sucks. If you can't hit a target at five yards, what are you going to do? You need to go take this other class. And so we use the CQB as actually a springboard to get people into the other skills they probably should have had before the course. Um, Another reason people like CQB classes is they get to test out their gear. So people go buy a plate carrier, a helmet, night vision, a rifle, whatever, and they literally just put it on and take pictures for Instagram and never do a a thing with it. They don't wear it to the range because their range discourages helmets and plate carriers, you know. So they come to a course so they can actually move around in it. So people use it as a gear testing lab as well, which is, you know, good and bad. You pay $800 to walk around in someone else's house when you could have just done it in yours. Um, you know, so that's a long winded answer, but that's what we offer. It's the full gamut. We have long range shooting. We have outdoor tactics like SUT. Um, Blake comes up with hilarious names for those like SUS, uh, which is small unit sustainment. Uh, he has conditions of unit mobility, which, you know, the acronym for that has come. Um, and I'm like, come on, come on, bro. But it's going to be great marketing because now you can say, you know, Hey, would Blake's going to be in the woods, uh, doing, you know, um, so that those, those classes sell really well. It's just the same principles as CQB, but it's external movement, moving through the woods, not something cops do a lot of. Um, so unless you're in a rural area, so, you know, we have really, like I said, the full run of it, long range shooting, mid range rifle, uh, pistol classes, concealed carry performance, medical, um, we have one, two and three day medical classes. We have CQB classes that feature medical. We have force on force for all of our CQB stuff. Um, so kind of, you know, probably 80 to 90% of the functions that you could think of in a tactical space, we have a course on it. The problem with that, like I said, is that people will see it as, oh, okay, I can go to those guys and get kind of anything I want. So I'm going to go to this other company for the pistol stuff because that's all they do. Um, I think that's probably our biggest downfall is that we offer so much variety. There's a sort of decision paralysis people have. And it's easier to just say, hey, this company only offers pistol. I'm going to take one of those classes. So because we mostly offer CQB and are known for it, that's what people buy the most from us. Quick interruption, everybody. We want to direct you to our YouTube channel. Listen, we're a bunch of dumb cops. We like to teach, we like to educate, and we like to entertain. But the fact is, video editing isn't our strong suit. So we recently hired a video editor to take our content to the next level. We plan on pushing out a ton of videos in 2024, and we'd love to see you over there on our YouTube channel. Make sure you subscribe so you can stay up to date on all the videos. And with that, let's get back to the podcast. Yeah, I I love, so way too much to unpack there. That was a lot. Excuse me, but (laughs) but I absolutely love the approach because you're not just telling me what you offer and then, you know, leaving it at that. You're getting into the why, the experiences you've had, and, uh, no, I definitely appreciative of that. First, first thing, I, I say in all my classes, hey, listen, guys, we're in the business of skill building. Build these skills and then you know, put it into your context. Because when we're doing, especially like CQB classes, everybody's structure is different. So when we're you know going to the range and we're setting up a structure and here's how we move through it, we just want to give the skills and we don't want to get lost in the weeds because what we found early on is 
and the reason I even say that is because a couple of our classes to begin with were like, you know, you start getting into the what if game and it just is never oh, God, ending. Yeah. It's never ending. And unless you address it and nip it in the bud, um, it, it's just going to go on forever. So we found early on, we got to, we got to address this. Hey, this is the, yep. the goal for today's class. Here's, you know, we're just giving you the skills and then you apply it. And, and that's ultimately been our approach because, you know, you could go all day long about that, but, um, hundred percent, you know, we I do t- the same thing. Yeah. Cause you just have to, and it, it'll, you'll just get lost in the weeds. But as far as, uh, have you, have you guys had requests for exercises or scenario based stuff? Um, and, and what has that looked like? And I guess, you know, was the reason for not doing that? So, uh, on open enrollment classes, and for anybody listening, if you don't understand what that means, you could have open enrollment that's like only law enforcement and military. And you can have open enrollment like we do where I don't care what your job is, come learn. What happens is we have guys that do not know their ass from a hole in the ground. And you have a guy who's a ranger or a guy who's a SEAL or a guy who's a SWAT guy. And they have an, an informed background. They have experience that allows them to frame what they're doing. When you have a guy that does not know what he's doing and he's simply learning a skill for the first time, they have a lot of questions because they're trying to place the skill in their use case. And a lot of times they don't have a use case for team-based tactics. So they want a scenario so that it makes sense in their brain what they're doing. The problem is the what ifs and the scenarios are really hard to make realistic. It's hard to make on a level playing field for everyone. So the one that I have used the most, if I I just absolutely have to have a scenario to make someone click, because like we said, you have to be flexible as a teacher. And if a student requires a scenario to inform their context, then you give it to them. Cool. Hey, man, for this rep, this is what I need you to frame your brain as. But I'm not giving a brief with a packet and, you know, okay, guys, the year is 2077. The robots have taken over, you know. Um, So I'll tell typically the one that I use the most is you guys are private security at a sensitive facility and there's been a compromise and in, in the the building's perimeter so you have to deliberately go clear the structure because we don't, i'm not giving people hostage rescue drive we don't do hostage rescue courses unless it's a closed thing for law enforcement because it, it it's not what people need again not the utilitarian ethics of what you need but i don't believe you can effectively teach hostage rescue tactics to somebody in three days i need three weeks I need to be able to test that you can actually move at that speed and process. Otherwise, I'm just teaching you to run around and play airsoft, and it's a waste of everyone's time. So going back, if I have to give someone a scenario, I will say, hey, look, we're not rescuing anybody. We think someone might have broken into the building on the other side. We're going to clear our way to the terminal side of the building. And the goal here is that your team stays alive and you possibly find the intruder. If they happen to be armed and you have justified use of force, obviously use it. If you need to give verbals or whatever else, do that. And that way, somebody who has no other background can really easily plug themselves into, oh, okay, I'm, I'm in charge of protecting this place. I'm private security. I'm allowed to be here. This is all legal, you know, and I'm not doing the whole, like, it's the collapse. What kind of American are you, you know, and all that other bull crap that people get into. We don't want to teach people scenarios. We want to teach people skills. And if you don't have the skills built to the point that they can be tested in an exercise with fully informed context, then you're just wasting everyone's time. It will also cheapen it for guys that are on SWAT or have military background. If you give some, you know, gimmicky BS scenario just to make everyone happy, they're going to be like, bro, I'm at like an airsoft class, you know? 
So we have to sort of, and that's another challenge we have a lot of companies don't have, is we have to sort of blend the legitimacy of what's being taught for people that have done it in real life and people that have not. And we do a pretty good job of that, like you said, by limiting expectations on day one and saying, listen, guys, you're learning the how and you're learning the why, but you're not learning the what. This is not a so-and-so mission. That makes sense? Oh, absolutely. I don't get into the... I don't, I, it's, it's the same thing I tell people when I, I compare it to dry fire. When you're dry firing at your sticky note on your wall, are you giving yourself a scenario? No. You're learning how to pull the gun out of the holster and get the sights up to the eye, confirm the picture, and pull the trigger without disturbing the sights. You're, you're learning specific tasks to make you better. The scenario comes later. And that's the same way CQB should be learned, at least in a three-day class. Um, so, yeah, hopefully that answered your <laughs> no, you question. hit the nail on the head. You hit the nail on the head. I think it's something that gets lost on people because I think they want to go right to the scenario. They want to go right to the, the right. You know, what's happening in in your head. And if you've never experienced anything like that, you don't have a background in law enforcement, military, or whatever. It's really hard to come up with realistic scenarios. And I want to, on that same note, you know, I didn't have any social media before starting this business, and so for me, uh, I turned to you and asked. The internet trolls that come up with all kinds of stuff, like all kinds of scenarios, I don't even know how to address it sometimes because they'll they'll start typing in the comments and then even some other guys like chiming in on it. And I, I don't know how to handle these internet trolls. How do you deal with that? So two things. Um, I feel like I'm going to say that a lot because everything, everything is <laughs> often multifaceted, right? Right. Uh, first thing is I was that guy at one point in time, and I remember what it was like to be that guy. And the second part of that is why am I no longer that guy? Well, I matured. I grew up. I had some things change. I learned some things. Um, in 2017 through like early 2019, I had a t-shirt company. And uh, we still do, but it's different now. That company was built on trolling. And we would go on bigger pages and talk shit and be an asshole. I told you I was an asshole, right? Right. Um, and... It was usually founded in something legitimate. So, you know, I'm a SWAT guy. I think I know everything. You know, I'm hitting hundreds of houses a year. I've been in a few shootings. I know my shit. I'm the fucking man, you know. Um, there we go. Now you can add the explicit tag. <laughs> and um, I go see people like, and I've talked about this on many podcasts before. I guess I'd never heard of T-Rex Arms. And a trainee of mine was like, oh, yeah, you should go watch Lucas's videos. I'm like, who is that? So I get on there and I see this like 100-pound, you know, six foot five twink shooting a pistol at like Mach 7 and running around talking about tactics and stuff. And I'm like, who is this kid? Like, he, what is his background? And then I look into it and I realize he's just some homeschooler that has no idea what he's doing. That's this, again, this is my context at the time. So my business partner and I were like, we're going to meme this. And we started memeing it hard and our sales started spiking. So a lot of times people's motivation when they go and they start memeing and they start trolling, they literally just want attention. And there are companies that still build their marketing this way in the training industry. Guys will just pick and pick and pick and pick and nag at somebody to get attention when instead of just building themselves up. And I was guilty of that at one point as a, as a younger uh, dude. So I think that's one, some people's motivations. Now, for anyone wondering about that, they're going, wow, Jared is such an asshole. Um, Instagram deleted that account for cyberbullying and banned my IP address <laughs> on that phone. Um yeah, so there was that. That was humbling. Um, 
it all kind of wrapped up and concluded a couple of years ago, Lucas messaged me on this account, on the OTG account. It was like, hey, I like what you guys are doing with CQB for civilians, which, of course, he, you know, he's since changed his tune on because he has new friends now. But he I messaged that. me that. Yeah. And, yeah, but we can we can dive into that too later if you want. But yeah, he, sure. he tells me this, and I say, I say hey, man, I don't, I don't know if you remember me, but I built a company on trolling you. Um, you know, so it's really humbling that you would come back and ask to share our stuff or recommend stuff for, from us. And, uh, he said, yeah, man, I don't have time for any of that. I don't, I don't remember you, um, doing that or who you were before, but I just happy about what you're doing now. And that struck me as one, a very mature thing for him to do and say, uh, super, super, super big slice of humble pie for me because one, I built a business on attacking him and he doesn't even remember me. So what's that tell you about his mindset and his success? Right. He doesn't care about the trolls. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite um, philosophers um, or philosophical principles, rather, is if you find yourself engaged in an argument or if you find yourself uh, engaged in mental anguish or suffering, it's been rephrased a million times. Remember that you are complicit in the provocation. So if you're if you're provoked, it's your fault. So Lucas was like, I don't know who that guy is. I'm over here making money hand over fist selling holsters. I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. He literally did not even give me the time of day to the point that I remember I regret being a troll to this guy. He doesn't even know who I am. So that's number one, right? People are often trying to pick at you for attention. And if you just don't even deal with them, and I'm not even saying delete or block the comment, literally do not give them the time of day. They'll just go away. Right. Um, the second thing is that often people do not know that they're being stupid. So another one of those stoic principles, let's not confuse malice with, for what can be explained by stupidity. So a lot of times you'll read a comment and you're like, man, that guy's really, he's just tearing me up. Like what? I don't know what I ever did to this guy. No, he's just an idiot. He does not know that what he's saying makes no sense. And he is simply putting his thoughts out there because the world we live in today is one that makes everyone feel like what they think has merit because everybody got told you could be the president and you're special and here's your trophy. So they get in the comment section where there's no consequences and they just say whatever they think. And it's not because they hate you or they think they're better than you or any of that. They're just too stupid to realize that either they're wrong or nobody cares what they think. So if you inform your response to trolls with those two sets of criteria, they either want something from me and I won't give it to them. Or they're too dumb to realize that that wasn't worth saying. It kind of removes all the sting, and it removes even the need to respond. The only times that I will respond is if they've given me an opportunity to demonstrate that I have a superior understanding of what's going on. And that's kind of rare for trolls, right? But that's kind of the way I deal with that. Yeah, kind of off topic, but I just wanted to ask your opinion on it because – you know, like I said before, I, I had a Facebook before I get tagged in it. I would see people saying all kinds of stuff on whatever page it is, and I would just never engage, you know, because I knew right. I, I knew it was never worth it because you're just going to go back and forth, and I would see these comment sections, and I'm like, gosh, these people, what are they doing? You know, you're not going to accomplish anything yep. doing this. You know, but then, of course, we, we start posting about tactics. We start posting about CQB, one of the most highly debated topics in the tactical industry. Um, you know, guys yep. telling you you're doing it wrong or whatever. And it never bothered me, but I do like to, but I have a, a need to kind of comment back because I'm trying to relay the information in a positive way. And it's very difficult to do that when 
you know, there's no reasoning with them. So again, like you said, don't give them the time of day. It's, it's just a, it's a new dynamic for me that I'm trying to figure out because I feel the need to respond because it's our page and you're asking a question or making a comment. Um, but then the, like nothing gets accomplished from it. So then I'm like, all right, well, I don't know how to mm. satisfy this. So it's a new dynamic for well, me. I would say one of the best things you can do is ask clarification because that shows the intent to actually answer and it can really disarm people. So a lot of people, when they do these fire and forget trolling comments, they don't, they don't expect you to reply. They want you to, cause they want that, they want that feeling of like, Oh, I got it. You know? Yeah, oh yeah. But if you come back and say, you can say, Hey man, uh, I appreciate your, your thoughts, but I have some clarifying questions. When you say this, do you mean X, Y, Z? Or before I answer, could you clarify this point so I can make sure that I actually get to your question? So you can disarm people by saying like, you're basically saying, I see what you're trying to do, but I would like to help out if this is a real question. And if they really did have one and they're just bad at typing, again, stupidity, not malice. Now you've built rapport. Anybody, that's the other thing. You'll have a lot of exposure on a post and not that many likes. Posts that get 10,000 likes, 500,000 people are looking at so the real value to answering trolls and answering them well is that other trolls and other people who are looking for your attitude and your approach will read that comment section and go, wow, he's a really reasonable person. He answered this really well. Or he didn't answer this troll. That's huge. But when you go to a company's page and you see all they're doing is fighting with people in the comments, they don't want to be people who are the fringe or the centrists. You know, They haven't swung one way or the other on the decision tree of buy or not buy, whatever it is you're offering. If they see that you're arguing the comments, they're not going to want to come to a class because they're going to think you're going to be argumentative. But if you either don't engage stupidity or you disarm it, you've probably made a sale with somebody, whether literally or, you know, they've now got that buy in of I want to be part of what these guys are doing. Um, So I would say try asking people questions back for clarification because it shows your intent to answer and that you're actually processing what they're saying. Right. And we've had guys like, you know, you respond and like, oh, thanks. I just was curious. But it, it, initially, it, it seems like malice, like you said. So it's very interesting. Yeah. to Yeah. Like I said, new world for us. Um, let's go back to CQB for civilians. Let's talk about, you know, you mentioned um, Lucas from T-Rex Arms and, and the validity of CQB for civilians and what we what value you see for that aside from just somebody wanting to learn a skill and you have the knowledge and experience to be able to pass that along to them. What is the value in CQB for civilians? So value is uh, my, my background college wise is economics. Um, value is such an interesting thing to study because value is perceived by the person doing the purchase. Um, I could make wicker baskets and there could be a group of people who love wicker baskets and I see no value in them. I don't care about wicker baskets, but damn, do I make them good. And so the people that want to buy them see a lot of value, right? Um, there is some of that. Some of that is true about teaching team tactics to civilians. Uh, we're really good at teaching it, and we have a really good program. And there are people who find a lot of value in it. Does that mean that I feel that this is the most important thing that people have to be learning? Not necessarily. Um, so the value is definitely in perception. Is there an objective measure of value in learning tactics for someone who's not doing it in their daily life? I think it's the real question, right? What's the objective value of it? And I don't know if we can really label that or put a point on that. But if we wanted to dive into it, we have to look at people's approach, like an ethical approach to it. Um, Do people need to conceal carry? 
it would be a counter argument, right? Do people need to conceal carry? Well, statistically, no, less than 1% of people would ever get into a shooting. It's actually less than a percent of a percent. So no, data tells us no, but our entire community is built around having that in case we need it, isn't it? I have the right to have my gun in case I need it, whether it's for tyrannical government or for the crackhead at the 7-Eleven that wants to rob me. I need my gun, even though statistically it's not going to happen. Fast forward to we've gotten out of the possession of a gun and the ability to use it, and now we're getting to more nebulous concept topic like um, tactics. You have people that will break it down into, and this is very common, you don't need team tactics because that's for teams. You need solo or individual approaches. You need home defense only. You need situational awareness, whatever. Those people are coming at that decision to what to teach or not teach based on what they think you might need. I think that's a flawed perspective. You're using a utilitarian ethic saying, because you don't need it, it's wrong to have it. We approach it as if you feel that you need it and it's your right to learn it, we will provide it in the free market. However, the realistic use case is less on the team side and more on the solo or duo approach side. Unless we get into the concepts like there's some sort of civil unrest, societal collapse, or whatever else, you're probably going to need to know how to move as a team, right? Indoors or outdoors, you're going to keep your family unit together, your group of neighbors that are, are sharing supplies and stuff together. But now we start to get into those weeds of scenarios, right? The what-if game starts to unravel. So I try, I try to avoid justifying why people may or may not need certain nuances of the skill set. And we try to just stick to principles to give the listeners and yourself an example of that. We had a guy come to class. We just finished a solo duo class yesterday. He has been a student of another company for the last five years. And that company is run by a dev group guy. And the dev group guy teaches a very specific methodology. Methodology meaning this is how you're going to do this. This is the method that you're going to use to do this. He comes to our class and he doesn't learn a methodology. He learns principles. Those principles drive the methodology he's learned from the dev group guy, but they also drive conflicting methodologies that you might find at CAG or, you know, a Ranger Battalion or what the Green Berets do or SWAT guys like you and me. So it's all driven by the same principles. And at the course debrief, he said this wasn't the best deliberate only class or the best dynamic only class, but it was the best class I've ever taken on room entry because it didn't get into the weeds of this is the best way and why, because that comes from a specific use case. It comes from a specific experience. It was the best class because it came from, it doesn't matter what your use case or experience or, or anything is angles or angles or angles. These principles apply no matter who you are or where you are. And so when we approach on tactic classes from that angle, we get away from having to justify, okay, well, you know, this, this student may be involved in the apocalypse in 10 years, and so they need team tactics, because that's kind of ridiculous, isn't it? But if we say, hey, you can come to a class where you learn how to take a room with 12 people, and the principles that drive it are the same as what you'd have to do if you took the room by yourself. So people that have been through all of our programs, and we have students that have taken all of our classes, say, yeah, I could have taken these classes in any order and they all benefit each other because they're all based in principles. I could take the three-man class and it's I'm going to understand how to do solo movement, even though that's not the point of the course, and so on and so on and so on. So I think that the whole argument of what the civilians need is silly 
And we should rather look at what do civilians want training in and how can we facilitate that in a way that best benefits them? Uh, yeah, I think, you know, that that's something I was guilty of early on, especially when I was taking over DT stuff. It was a very formulaic approach. If this, then this. Mm-hmm. And what you learn, or at least what I learned very early on, is that nobody is going to retain that. You're not going to create any thinkers from that. Everybody's going to say, well, here's the answer to this question that's being essentially brought up. And it's just not the way people learn. It's not the way people adapt. And with CQB, you have to be able to adapt. You're going to run into you don't you may not know the structure. Maybe home defense. You may know your house inside and out, but it may be an area where you don't know the structure. And it requires the student to understand the principles so that when you walk into a center fed room or a corner fed or it opens up in all kinds of different angles, how do we address these angles as safely as possible? And having contingency plans to address that, I think, is one of the most important things, if not the, well, it's the, it's the entire curriculum. So I I fall right into that as well. Um, You know, it's one of those, the formulaic, you know, if this, then this approach just doesn't work. Um, Especially when you're teaching seminars or, you know, a single day, two day, three day, it's just never going to work. You're never going to relay the information, you know, and, and get the students to buy in because they're just going to be lost. Yep. Um, And on that, before we go into anything else, just really quickly, I had a really good conversation day before yesterday with Felix from Redbeard Tactical. I don't know if you talked to him ever. Um, he's a German Army guy, but one of the things he said is, if you're going to teach uh, CQB as a battle drill, you're going to fail. And the Army teaches things as drills, right? If this, then that. Yep. But if you teach CQB as an environmental consideration, using the same principles that you use for anything, people can adapt. So I think you're 100% right. And why does the Army teach it as a battle drill? Because you got a bunch of ASVAB waivers, you know, 19-year-old kids that couldn't call her within the lines, and they're trying to keep them from shooting each other by accident. That's the reason that Battle Drill 6 is so simple and archaic, is that it's the easiest way to get people to do the task without hurting themselves. It's not because it's the best way to do it. Exactly. So. No, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um Jared, I want to talk about, because I think I see this on your page, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it's just kind of the impression I get from you. Um, and then we'll kind of wrap up, because I know you have a meeting, and I got to I gotta try and sign up for your class at OTOA. <clears throat> what, does, true. what does mentorship mean to you? Um, as you said before, it's a big responsibility. Um, mentorship means actually giving uh, insightful or meaningful input to somebody when they need it. And that means being present. I think that's probably the biggest part of mentorship that people miss is being present. Um, you can't be a mentor a hundred percent of the time, obviously, unless you like say you're a father, fathers should be mentors, right? Uh, to their children and to other people in their lives as an instructor, what does being a mentor mean? Well, I get a captive audience for three days. And we say this in every class. The class is a vehicle for us to be able to help people become better men. Uh, and, you know, for the five women that come through the Ryan training group every year, maybe a better lady. But um, mentorship is about uh, finding what somebody needs when they need it and saying the right thing at the right time. If you're being if you're ever present like a father, obviously, that's a massive responsibility for you. But for me, as somebody that sees somebody maybe for 24 hours of training time in a three-day class. Um, mentorship's about setting an example 
And it's about doing the right things in those small moments. And then if they need something in that moment or you have an insightful word for them, um, giving them that. We see that a lot um, in our classes. And we've tried to, I have tried to hire mentors, people that have that, uh, that bone in them, like uh, Jason, that do. I have never seen somebody with more mentorship, natural mentorship ability than Jason um my cousin who runs orion concepts our t-shirt company uh he and i worked together at the same sheriff's office and uh he was going through some stuff emotionally he goes to the range and uh he just wanted to let off some steam but he didn't want to waste his time so he goes to jason and he says hey jason just you know jason and i obviously worked together on swat then <clears throat> at the same department he's like hey man you're the firearms director for the for the sheriff's office I need some help with my whatever pistol work. Can you come, can you come help me with that? And Jason's in the middle of whatever other duties. And Jason can see that he needed some time. So Jason goes out on the range with him and shoots with him for a couple hours and shows him some things and just gets him up to speed on whatever it is. And so, you know, my cousin goes back to his car after Jason spent this time with him and he just breaks down and <laughs> starts sobbing in the car. And he calls me and he's like, man, I'm crying at the range. I'm like, dude, what's up? Are you okay? Something happened. He's like, no, I just, I needed somebody to be there and I asked Jason to come train with me and he was, it was like, he was my dad, you know, he, he did what I needed and he helped me. And it's, it's again, like teaching. I think mentorship is one of those intangible things. It's the right thing at the right time for the, for the person when they need it. Um, you get that sometimes in classes, uh, those little moments, but it's hard to do, <clears throat> anything like that long-term unless you build a relationship with somebody. So we started a members club. This is actually part of why me and Jason started this club. Anyone who's been a student um, in Louisiana or Texas is eligible to come to our members club and they pay a monthly fee and they have access to our shoot house and they have a group chat and they build these relationships. And we are on a, you know, cell phone call text, you know, first name basis, come to the house, eat dinner, with these young guys. Um, and that to me is more really mentorship long-term. We'll have the, I've known some of these guys for three years now in the club. Uh, they'll jokingly call me and Jason, their dads, you know, stuff like that. So mentorship, I think can look a lot of different ways, but it's about saying the right thing for someone at the right time. Um, and that can definitely be a challenge in these classes for sure. Yeah. And it, and I, I always think about it like this, you know, especially for classes, what do I want to accomplish and, and trying to make it as simple as possible? You know, what type of image do I want to present to the students? And that's, I give a shit and the students are going to know when I'm full of shit. So I better have done my research. I better have done my homework and got the reps in so yep. that I can relay the information, not only as an instructor, but also from the skill set standpoint, there's so much that goes into behind the scenes for these classes that you better know what you're talking about and you better give a darn because they're going to know when you're just money to them when they just sign up for their class. And right. you just, if you're not giving them that, that leadership, you know, and, and really passing that information along in, in a down to earth, you know, you know, connecting with these folks kind of way, they're going to know the difference. Mm -hmm. People are smart and, uh, and they'll recognize that from the beginning. And I'm sure I have no doubt that if, if folks are taking your guys' classes, they get that impression. At least that's the impression I get from meeting you and, and talking to you online. You, you've been, uh, Despite you guys' uh, your following and you, you've responded to my messages, if I have questions about like getting shadow banned and things like that, which I <laughs> greatly appreciate, 
Um, yeah. I'm like, I got 2,000 followers on Instagram. Why are you guys shadow banning me? Uh, but, you know, trying to to learn and grow, and you, you obviously take the time and energy and effort and, and put it into your work, but also into your people. And I, I think that's, um, that's something that comes through um, very obviously. So plug your stuff, Jared. We got to wrap up because we, we got things to do today. But plug your stuff so people can find uh, some of your courses and uh, some of your social media stuff. Yeah, well, I appreciate that opportunity. Um, just oriontraininggroup.com. You wouldn't believe how many times I get asked if I have a website. Uh, oriontraininggroup.com. Just put it in your browser. And then from there, you can search anything you want, whether it's terminology like CQB, pistol, rifle. But you can search by your state. If you're a fan of one of the instructors, you can search by their name. Or you could just click shop courses, and it'll have a big master list of courses. Like I said, we offer the gamut of things, and it's open to civilians. So if I don't care if you're a welder, a lawyer, a doctor, if you flip hamburgers, or if you're a Navy SEAL, come to class. As far as just free information, we have a YouTube, again, Orion Training Group. Just search that on YouTube. And we have 10 more videos coming up, maybe 12 the first half of this year. We have something like 45 or 50 up already, just free educational content. And then I also run the Patreon for the company, and that is – Really, the reason that was created is because of Instagram shadow banning. I never know if we're going to get deleted or whatever else. So we used to post a lot more like truly educational content on Instagram, but it gets flagged a lot because of the words and the captions, because of the content of the photos. You know, uh, So we moved a lot of that over to Patreon, and it's 5 bucks a month or 60 bucks a year for lectures, video, demo. Uh, I've probably got 30 videos up on there. So Patreon, YouTube, uh, Instagram, if you want to go get on Telegram, I don't use it much, but it's a backup for Instagram. Again, it's just Orion Training Group. And all of those links are in the bio on our Instagram page, which is Orion underscore training underscore group. And that's pretty much everything, I think. And you guys are doing a bit of traveling this year for your classes as well? Oh, yeah. Yeah, man, we go all over. So I was out of state last year. I, I live in Louisiana. We have a shoe house in Louisiana in Baton Rouge. Jason runs most of the classes there, but I was on the road or out of state teaching almost 200 days last year. We went to 12 states, um, Washington, Wisconsin, uh, Indiana, Ohio, Pennsylvania, um, North Carolina, Louisiana, Mississippi, Texas, um, Arizona, a few other places. I mean, we're all over. So, um, if people go on the website and they punch in their state, if you don't see any results, you know, like if you live in, you know, some flyover state and we don't, you don't have any facilities out there, just look at the website and see what's nearest to you. Cause I've had people say like, I've driven, I drive 19 hours to Pennsylvania and I'll have guys in Pennsylvania say, Hey, where are you going to do a class on the other side of the state? I'm like, dude, I just drove 19 hours to this side of the state. You can drive four hours to go to the other side of your own freaking state. So I would challenge anybody who's listening to this to look at what's being offered across the country. And just because it's not in your home state, maybe plan some travel and go to a good course because we don't know how much longer all this is going to last and how all everything goes. You know, there's a lot of bills in Congress trying to ban training and all kinds of stuff like that. I, I was you listening to this. So this is not fear mongering. Don't wait for somebody to bring a class to Timbuktu, you know, make an event out of it, travel and go get some good training, whether it's with us or someone else. Absolutely. And make sure you guys check them out, oriontraininggroup.com. Make sure you check out their social media stuff. Maybe consider supporting them on Patreon. They got a ton of quality stuff. And if you haven't gotten it by now, Jared knows what he's talking about and he's humble. So 
make sure you guys support companies like Orion Training Group. Jared, thank you so much for coming on, man. I know you're a busy guy. We're going we're gonna to get off here, but um, that's going to conclude today's episode. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll see you on the next one. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the Sit, Wait, and Talk show. You guys have been incredible. Cannot thank you enough for the support. And to show our appreciation, remember, you leave us a review in the first 10 episodes, and it will automatically enter you into a chance to win a free plate carrier from Shellback Tactical. The Cell 2.0 is a very high-quality plate carrier, and it's something that's going to set you up for success as you build out your kit. Now remember, show us proof of that review either by writing out a written review or sending us a DM of the star rating you give us. And again, it'll automatically enter you in a chance to win. You guys have been incredible. Thank you so much for listening to the Sit, Wait, and Talk show. And we'll see you on the next episode.